Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting its shoes on. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Van Duggan. No, sorry, let me do that again. No, 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 no. I love that. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting its shoes on. You're listening to Van Duggan's. Please use the first one, Shane. I'm begging you. Okay. Yeah, sorry, that I'm gonna be honest, that was a second take because I forgot how to read halfway through. So um I'm not sure which one you're hearing. I'll I will find out when I listen back. Um welcome back to Bandwagons. Uh, my name is Fanula. How are you, Breach, my fellow co-host? <laughs> sorry, I forgot. I was like, what is she doing? And then I realized you'd actually just started the episode, which makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so tired. Uh, I'm good. I know. I'm so We've tired been, today, um, I don't know why. Well, we've been What's we've been very busy that? girls. Um, we've we have been very been. lucky to um, work alongside Article Nineteen for this episode, which is all about uh, disinformation and freedom of expression as part of their new campaign. Uh, hashtag Keep It Real, and it's been really, 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 really interesting. We've some great interviews coming up later in the episode um, that will delve into more about what the campaign is about and everything else. But it's just been it's been a lot of work because obviously the whole thing about bandwagons is um, we've known for a long time that the issue of disinformation has been huge. But uh, well, myself and Breed obviously have experience in the industries. We're not experts, um, so it was great to. Um, discuss this with article 19 and some of their campaign ambassadors the young people that are heading this up so it's been really 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 interesting so stay tuned for that but before we get into all that brief i want to ask you Uh um just in terms of your own experiences with disinformation like do you have a point where you remember it being a thing for you or kind of seeing a very clear example where you were like oh this isn't true and yet it's it's being spread everywhere or people are believing this yeah, like I I was definitely guilty at one point of like 
going down conspiracy rabbit holes just because I like to like entertain that part of my brain like or entertain like what if there's a lot of other stuff going on that actually doesn't make sense but let's just like entertain it for half an hour but I can always find my way back out of it so I'm not like a conspirator or a big conspiracy head or whatever um and we probably touched on that in the in our episodes before I feel like we've touched off this kind of stuff in a couple of episodes like like we mentioned later on the coronavirus episode when we really didn't have a clue what was going on and a lot of the information we had was misinformation conspiracies uh what was the other one I was thinking of the Kanye West one even more recently it's a lot of stuff where you believe it and it's not until someone confronts you about it that you're like that's actual bull crap exactly yeah because we like we talked about it you mentioned the Kanye episode and I think it's a good example it's a good bandwagon as an example. Like we talked about the whole thing about rumors about Kanye West potentially going out with Jeffree Star and about how this started from an unverified TikTok video. Yeah. And like, I think it's easy to kind of laugh and joke when it's that kind of an example and when it seems very trivial. But the fact of the matter is when stuff like that happens and flies around and is believed like verbatim, like what's to stop that translating then into more serious in inverted commas affairs, like current affairs news. Like it's it's very understandable why people believe this stuff when it's able to be spread so easily. Yeah. And it just taken a face value. But I will say, obviously we've done, We you mentioned a couple of other episodes there before. And like, even if you were to, we did an episode about Avril Lavigne on Patreon and there's a long running yeah. conspiracy theory about that. We do, we do, we do like entertain conspiracies in a lot of our episodes and especially in our live shows as well. I feel like that's like a, a, a point we always hit off. When but we I do think that's where freedom of expression comes in because us as podcasters, us as like broadcasters, and I can't believe I just referred to us as broadcasters. <laughs> anyway, um, we, I, we can't. are, we are, okay. We are, allowed because of the constitution and the Irish constitution we are allowed to express our opinions on these theories but I think as well what we've learned and we've always said that we're constantly learning we want to learn with you the listener and with anyone who's following us and we want to encourage you to interrogate what you're listening to what you're watching yeah um and like myself and Brie don't always agree. Like this has come up on the Hamilton episode and many other episodes. I'm not going to give too many more examples because I don't want to start an argument on this episode. <laughs> but we respect that for each other that while we might have different opinions on things, it doesn't mean that Breed is an inherently bad person, that her opinions are like inherently bad. It Where where the issue arises... Sometimes is I'm right. Crossed. Sometimes you are right. Yeah, sometimes. But where the issue comes up then is when this thing of disinformation comes into it, which is where the hashtag Keep It Real campaign comes in. So just to explain a bit more about that, um, Keep It Real is from Article 19, as we mentioned. And this is where young activists from all over Ireland, they're coming together to spearhead a much needed debate on disinformation and freedom of expression. Um, For anyone who isn't familiar with Article 19, it's an international organization that works to defend and promote freedom of expression and access to information throughout the world. Um, And basically what this campaign aims to do is empower young adults in Ireland to articulate their views on how to counter disinformation and protect their right to free speech in the framework of the ongoing debate on the online safety and media regulations bill. Um, according to Taoiseach Michal Martin, the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill will introduce a fair, proportionate regulatory framework for online safety, encompassing the regulation of certain online services, including social media companies, 
um, which I think is, it's badly needed. It's badly, badly, badly needed. Now, like the European Commission might block the implementation of the proposed bill um, if they deem it to not be compliant with EU law, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it's it's kind of a mad journey we've been on because like obviously, like I've worked in news before. Um, I haven't worked in news in a long time. Um, I worked in like obviously the kind of the sillier side of things as we always say, like celebrity, pop culture, whatever. But I did work in like a legitimate newsroom as well. And it's been interesting to see with the change in digital and whatever, like I ne- I've never worked for print, um, but like obviously there's a lot of digital that's tied in with print now. Um, it's a lot harder because for media companies, they are looking to obviously break news, write news, obviously, but there's a new demand to, or there's a new race to be first. Like you need to be the person to break the news because before and it's mentioned later on in some of our interviews you were relying on like the print of a paper whereas now we have so much access to news all the time from so many different outlets um, and if you're not first with the story I know for a lot of like organizations like that's considered a loss for them on top of that you've a lot of news organizations that are known on social media and are relying on social media to spread their news so there's a lot of uh emphasis put on the numbers game there in terms of like followers and reach and whatever else you want to make sure you're reaching the most amount of people because that's how the majority of people are taking in their news now it's been it's been interesting to see but like I remember even at the time being very uncomfortable with that race to be first without verification and without that like because that's kind of the the number one thing you're taught in journalism that's, I was just yeah that's what I was just gonna say that's what we're really what you're we're focused on in college is like media law like how things can go wrong if you say the wrong thing about someone and like that just kind of all goes out the window in the real world I feel like when it comes down to it and people are under pressure to get stories out and, uh, and be the first like you said a lot of that whole um like that thinking about should I say this just a like longer, deeper thought about it doesn't ha- doesn't happen because it's a race. Yeah. Um, political theorist Alexander Mekeljohn, uh, he actually the way he kind of phrased it, I think, is he argued that for you to need to elevate the right above other rights as the foundation of democracy, which I think is kind of what I'm trying to get at here. I just can't. Uh, yeah, there needs to be an element of like well. gatekeeping. I think. Did you ever learn about, we learned about gatekeeping in college and it was like. Does there need to be an element of gatekeeping? I think if it comes down to like people who are spreading like harmful information, I think there does need to be an element of gatekeeping. And we saw that with like Trump being banned from Twitter, Alex Jones being deplatformed. Like those people were just causing harm at the root of it. And I think that's when gatekeeping is okay and acceptable because it's for the greater good. But then. You do have to balance that, that like, with freedom like, of expression. Yeah, yeah, that's but like that's the difference. Like, yeah, a lot of the stuff being promoted there was either like abort as well as being aborted, like fundamentally untrue. Um, so and yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and like there is a line. I feel like people who advocate for free speech have this misconception that free speech means like anything. You can say anything. That's not, like, that's absolutely not the case. Yeah. Um, just in terms of I have some interesting stats here for you on like fake news, if you're interested. Um, yes, please. Ruler 
it uh, released a digital news report for Ireland in 2019. So this is potentially different now. Take it with a pinch of salt. Um, they found that 61% of Irish media consumers are concerned about what is real and what is fake on the internet. Um, considerably higher than the EU average, which is uh, 51%. Um, and you mentioned there about social media platforms and what they're doing to combat fake news. Um, Facebook came out recently. Last year, they said they were stepping up efforts to curb the flow of coronavirus-related information because I think that's an area where we've seen like a big surge in yeah. disinformation. Um, you seen that little banner on pictures or... Like even if you just mention COVID or Corona on your story, you'll get a little banner. Um, yeah. yeah, you mentioned those banners. Like obviously Facebook own Instagram knows that. So they're on Instagram. Uh, TikTok is an independent thing, but they have similar kind of ba- uh, banners. Twitter has them where it's like this yeah. has been disputed or this has been disputed or whatever. Yeah. Um, Facebook, in terms of what other things they're doing, they say they're working with a network of third-party fact-checkers, reviewing and debunking uh, false claims. Their head of health, uh, Kang Zing Jin, said, when they rate information as false, we limit it spread on Facebook and Instagram and show people accurate information from these partners. We also send notifications to people who already shared or are trying to share this content to alert them that it's been fact-checked. But then you've today... Like, uh, this is a time of recording, but this will still be recent news when this is released. You Facebook banning news feeds in Australia, which was in response to this proposed law, which would make tech giants pay for news content on their platforms. So basically, like, all the Aussies woke up, like, That's on whatever mad. day to find that, like, Facebook pages for, like, all the local and global news sites were unavailable. Like, it's... It's really... Like, immediately, I was like, That's a good thing, because people are only going to pay to publish like proper decent news but then at the same time should news only be available for those who can pay for it no is it who's paying is it the the, is it the companies have to pay to publish their news or people have to pay to like consume it it would make tech giants pay for news content on their platforms so like the facebook's the like the instas you know what i mean yeah well, that's, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I don't think so either. As long as like the people who are consuming the media aren't like being charged for basic level news that everyone should have. I feel like there's a right to like base level. Yeah. We we talked about the banners thing there, obviously. And like later on, we kind of get into the like the vanity efforts that a lot of the platforms are making to be seen to be to be seen to be doing something about disinformation and everything else that's um, happening. But like what I found, I read, I read this really good piece from Marie Boren and she was actually one of my lecturers when I was in DCU. She's a freelance tech journalist and she did this piece on fake news and the rise of it, whatever. And um, I found this from the article interesting. So she said a new study from US-based nonprofit organization, uh, Avaz, that's A-V-A-A-Z, from the YouTube has not only been funneling uh, millions of users towards climate denial videos via its recommendation algorithm, but also serving ads from global brands, including Samsung, L'Oreal, Greenpeace, and the WWF alongside these videos. So like you, you have YouTube, the largest broadcasting channel in the world, and it is actively driving millions of people to these climate misinformation videos. And the reason why people think they're legitimate is because you have these brands who often don't know, like and brands don't really have a massive say in what videos they're put up against on YouTube. I'm fairly sure. I'm fairly sure it's like a demographic thing and it's just with the partner program, they're just kind of shafted in. But like, if you're, if you see an ad and it's like 
it's like a car brand ad or something on the video you're going to be like oh, there's there must be some level of legitimacy to this if you would know immediately yeah. i mean like me you and i both do like we'd know we'd be like right this this clearly isn't true there's evidence or like we'd both have the the know how to know that like we're not the experts in this area yeah. like that's not free speech that's like that's free advertising youtube is giving to factually inaccurate videos that risk confusing people about one of the biggest crises of our time you know what i mean it's like and i think it's this whole thing where the social media platforms realize that if you can and other places they realize that if you can create doubt you can generate income in an attention economy by grabbing people's attention yeah by selling that attention to other people like a lot of people view disinformation as currency which is where things get like problematic dodge 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 because this is the thing. So Google and Facebook, like Google is owns YouTube. They take in two thirds of online advertising revenue and like have a huge market share. You're talking like around 90% of recent revenue growth in the ad tech industry. That's according to Joshua Braun and Jessica Eklund. They're researchers from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, they're doing a lot of research into the relationship between the ad tech industry and fake news publishers. Um, it's just like it's really again it goes back to the whole thing of like towing that line and just really understanding that like you and I and John down the road and Shane and collaborative studios we all have opinions that we have and you absolutely in the constitution have the right to express that opinion but it's knowing how to interrogate your own opinions, how to examine them, how to pull them apart mm-hmm. and how to know when you've gone beyond an opinion and you've gone into something that is fundamentally untrue, harmful or both. Yeah, it's critical thinking. Like it's just don't take everything at face value, even your own initial opinions on things. Like you have to examine why you think certain ways and why you're consuming certain media is the way you do. Absolutely. Um, we were delighted to have um, Pierre-Francois Duck here and to talk to us more about this from Article 19. Um, really interesting chatty kind of, if you're ever confused about like the difference between disinformation and misinformation, there is a difference. I didn't realise there was. I thought they were one and the same. Um, he really breaks it down here. So have a listen to this. We are very excited to be joined uh, by Pierre-Francois Duck here, uh, Head of Media Freedom at Article 19 for this week's episode. Pierre, thank you so much for joining us on Bandwagons. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I was just going to ask, what's your involvement with Article 19 and what is the Keep It Real campaign? Um, So I joined Article 19 actually just six six years ago today, uh, across the channel, coming from Belgium. Um, My background is in law and in human rights and and specifically freedom of expression. So I was quite happy to have this opportunity to join a a big NGO. It's not a big organization, but it's global and it it works with international organizations. So it's quite well reputed. So I was very happy to have this this opportunity to to join um, experts on freedom of expression and to uh, um, yeah, try and, and use um, whatever skills I have in that field together with, with colleagues who share the same sort of a, of background and, and work in, in various um, countries and, and regions. Um, and then the, 
the Keep It Real campaign is an, an initiative that we've uh, started a few um, months ago, and it's an it's quite of a it's kind of an experiment for us. So Article 19 is an organization that usually speaks with politicians, policy people, academics, experts, um, and we've um, decided that we should also try to bring our views on freedom of expression and on topics like the regulation of social media platforms to um, the public at large, so to say. And, and so the Keep It Real campaign is a, um, a first attempt at doing that, working um, with a group of, of uh, young adults in, in Ireland that we uh, have uh, asked to be our ambassadors in, in, in this campaign. Um, and, and really the idea is to um, express our views on free speech in um, language and in formats that you know, do not involve uh, jargon and executive summaries and um, expert um, language, yeah. Can you explain what disinformation is to the listeners? And is there a massive difference between that and misinformation? Yes, I suppose the main difference is that disinformation is false information that is intended to mislead um, its, its target, the audience, while misinformation might, doesn't have that, that intentional um, element to it. With the growth of social media, Pierre, we've seen more discourse online, I think more agitation between those on kind of maybe opposite ends of an argument. Um, I'm wondering, it's something that comes up a lot is this concept of like freedom of expression. You'll often see people throw it out like, I have the right to say this. Is it illegal to have an opinion, free speech, et cetera, et cetera. But like, what does international law actually cover when it comes to freedom of expression? Um, international law, and, and I suppose actually the, the national law, the, the, the Irish constitution would, would say the same. Um, because broadly it's free speech, but it's it's the same whether it's international law or, or constitutional law in in, uh, in democratic countries at least. Um, the idea is that free speech covers a broad lot of a broad range of of uh, things, including things that are not necessarily true. Um, so it's not. I'm not saying that international law would give you a right to intentionally mislead people, but there is um, a right to be a little bit provocative. There is a um, right to use humor, um, and there is a, a certain right to, uh, yeah, to exaggerate a little bit when speaking, uh, and that's that's um, considered a very normal part of uh, freedom of expression. And just in terms of the law, what can and cannot be done to deal with disinformation? That's a hard one, um, because from one person to the other, we might have different views of the world. And so what we understand as, as uh, false information might be very, very different. And if you take the law as uh, the in what's true or not, then you are giving uh, public the power of being the arbiters of truth, which, which may be very dangerous for, for um, public debates for the life of a democratic society. Um, so this is why we at Article 19 see the role of the state as, as uh, not necessarily to enact new laws to fight disinformation, but rather to sort of create a context where journalists and, and others can do their jobs of, of uh, debunking misinformation and, and actually bringing 
um, to live a very a very lively debate where where um, citizens can sort of uh, you know make their own understanding of things. Fundamentally, like a lot of social media platforms claim to be battling disinformation. Mark Zuckerberg, obviously, he's main Facebook guy. He seems to be constantly talking about it and saying that they're trying to do more to limit it on the platform and whatever else. But I think it's fair to say that a lot of them are also profiting from disinformation. I'd be interested to hear what you think social media platforms should be doing to combat it. Um, first of all, you are correct. They profit, these social media platforms. They profit from every, everything that keeps us on the platform um, because basically they're selling advertising. So the more viewers, the more presence there are on the platforms, the easier and the more expensive it is um, to, to actually get uh, advertising on, on the platforms. Um, and I think it's also fair to say that uh, platforms have come a long way in terms of uh, how they approach uh, disinformation and other types of, of uh, problematic content. Um, they've, I think, uh, staff in, in these companies have also become much more conscious of the problems that are linked to uh, the circulation of, of uh, disinformation and, again, other types of, of problematic content on, on the platform. So they've, they've made efforts. They've, uh, they've been sort of pushed in the back by the EU to adopt a code uh, of practices on disinformation. And there are efforts in terms of being transparent in... in uh, terms of what content they take down, what, what sometimes there's also the collaboration with uh, what is known as fact checkers, external uh, parties that will verify information for them. Um, so yes, I think they've made efforts, but the problem, the main problem that I see is that these efforts have um, sort of been very unilateral. Uh, they're dealing with things on their own and not uh, engaging in a transparent um, way with um, civil society organizations and, and other organizations that, that might have a voice and, and interesting things to say in relation to how to approach this information. I think it's also interesting to see that it's, it's a world, the world of tech that is changing very fast and there may be a lot of approaches to dealing with content. It's not binary in terms of either content is on or content is taken uh, down. There may be um, other solutions like flagging content as, as maybe needing some verification if that's a piece of, of information that's not, doesn't seem to be entirely reliable. Um, or it may also be the, the, um, the there, there may be also the, the possibility of um, demoting content, which is making it less visible. So there, it's a change. It's a field that's that's changing very fast, um, and I think that the fast-paced change and the idea of opening the conversation to others would be the, the, the direction in things in, in, in which we would like to take um, things. You mentioned there about the EU bringing in codes of practice for um, different social medias, but what else have the EU authorities done to combat disinformation? I think lots of the, um, well, authorities, they tend to, to love a simple solution, right? So lots of the work that's been done by the EU has sometimes been to sort of a 
push platforms in, in, in the back, sort of telling them, yeah, please sort that problem out for us, please. Um, and, and other than this um, encouragement to um, solve the issue by themselves, there's not necessarily much that, that has been um, done in, in terms of creating a context where civil society actors and others can contribute to, well, discussing um, the, the complexity of the, of the problem. I think this information is really a complex thing and there's no simple fix, which is another reason why we would love to have like this sort of public transparent debate with civil society organizations, um, academics, et cetera, to, to sort of... Uh, agree on, on the right path um, to get rid of, of problematic content, but also to make sure that we keep everything that we need for a very lively public debate. With social media, as we've mentioned, people have more access to content, more access to information, and they're usually getting that access at a much younger age as well. It's just there for them to read, to take in, to create themselves. And I was just wondering your thoughts on maybe, is there a need for education around disinformation within secondary schools now, perhaps? Because uh, my sister and her husband, they're both teachers. And I was trying to ask them about, was there anything in the current Irish curriculum on this subject? And as far as they're aware, there isn't. I know within the subject of history, you know, you're taught about kind of primary and secondary sources, but I think that's kind of it. But I think... I would, I would think it's pretty important given how much access young people have to social media and that's primarily how disinformation seems to spread now. But I'd be curious about your thoughts. Like, is this something that needs to be incorporated or how do we incorporate it? Um, so first of all, yes. Uh, I think that's an important role of the state and, and that's part of their uh, duty and their international law, I would say, is to... Uh, enable uh, individuals to to be able to sort of uh, critically look at information and, and become sort of a critical uh, viewers of television or or viewers of, of social media. So that's, that's my answer is yes. But I think it's also interesting. Um, I have this this little anecdote from the group of uh, young volunteers that we're working with at the moment in in Ireland. And it seems that um, when you ask an age group um, what they think of disinformation, they always see it as a problem for another age group. So we were talking uh, with these, um, this group of, of uh, 15 uh, young adults, um, and we were asking them what they think about disinformation. And yes, it was a problem for them uh, in relation to maybe their parents. And, and they had anecdotes about maybe or how their grandmother or grandfather or uncle um, had been uh, misled by, by this information, but they saw themselves as, as quite smart and, and able to navigate the, the social media landscape and to, uh, you know, decode uh, misinformation. So I suppose that, that, that's uh, something that we easily see as a, a problem for others, but not necessarily for ourselves. Um, but coming back to your question, yes, um, efforts in, in media literacy um, are absolutely necessary. And, and uh, there are actually lots of uh, very skilled groups in Ireland on that on that topic. We So basically we need to bring all our parents into a room and brief them on how WhatsApp is not um, the be all and end all when it comes to <laughs> information <laughs> and news. <laughs> uh, 
but, but tech is a complex thing and we're not necessarily aware of, of how to use it well. So um, media literacy and, and um, tech literacy is really something that is not necessary only for uh, secondary schools but or, or even younger kids. Uh, it's something for people of all ages. Completely. And I think it's something that perhaps our age group take for granted because, as you said, like we we were the generation that grew up with the smartphones, the social medias, the Twitter. And like, obviously, I'm I come from a journalism background, so I would consider myself fairly savvy not to toot my own horn. But I would obviously find it easier to identify that stuff. But that comes from the privilege of being the age that I am and having the education I received. So. Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, it's a cross, what's the word, cross demographic issue. But yeah, very interesting. How can you best protect your privacy, for instance, is, is something that uh, is um, an area where I suppose we could all get better in terms of simply using the smartphone, for instance. This was a very interesting conversation and I'm going to go away. I can feel the cogs turning my brain of all the things that I have to think about now and all the conversations that I have to have with people. So Pierre, thank you so much for joining us on Bandwagons. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for uh, having me. big thank you to Pierre and Article 19 there for um, his time, their time on this topic as we like are constantly saying we're not the experts and uh, it's great to uh, be able to shed some light on a topic that I suppose the two of us have wanted to get into a bit more but just have been a bit afraid to, a bit intimidated. um, Unqualified as well. (laughs) Unqualified, fundamentally unqualified. (laughs) Um, we mentioned earlier about the ambassadors that are heading up the Keep It Real campaign and we were lucky enough to be joined by two of them. Um, Scott Byrne uh, is 23. He recently graduated from Trinity College with a degree in physics. And we have Molly Gordon-Bowles. She's 19. She's from Wicklow. Um, she's currently studying music in um, Dublin. And yeah, just, Breed, I'm sure you'll agree, two very passionate young activists it's very exciting to see them head up a campaign like this and be so open to speaking about something and so eloquently as well yeah just really good speakers really passionate about what they're talking about and just really know what they're talking about which is uh i don't think young people like that are given enough of a platform when it comes to topics this big and this serious and and when you listen to this you'll realize that they know their stuff so they really do. They really do. Take a listen to this. We are now joined by the lovely Scott Byrne and Molly Gordon Bowles. Um, they are the campaign ambassadors for Hashtag Keep It Real. And um, we're really excited to talk to you today, guys. Nice to meet you too. Um, I think we're both really looking forward to it and getting to talk about some really important issues, especially for young people in Ireland at the moment. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we'll start with Molly, maybe. Um, Molly, can you tell us why you wanted to be involved in the campaign? Hello. Well, I decided to get involved because the information that we receive when we're younger is so important. It really kind of shapes the views and what kind of person we're going to be in the future. And I also just wanted to make people aware of the harm surrounding disinformation because it can really affect someone's life. And I just don't think it's been talked about that much. 
Yeah, definitely. What about you, Scott? Um, yeah, I definitely like echo a lot of the points Molly made. Um, I suppose when the application sort of fell into my lap, um, like I'm a science student, so the last year, year and a half, kind of just been filled with moments where you're like, oh, this is really bad. Why do people believe these things, especially around COVID or even before that? And you're kind of like, this is a problem. Like I've seen a lot of people I might have known growing up or worked with or went to secondary school with sort of sharing things on social media. And you're like, none of, none of this is true. Like, where did you find this? Um, and I think unless like steps are taken now to address it, it's only going to get worse as time goes on. On that, Scott, when did you become aware yourself of what fake news was? Or do you remember like your first instance where, as you described there, you maybe saw someone share something that you knew fundamentally wasn't true? Um, I can't pick out the first time because it's probably like back when I was a kid. But I remember like definitely one of the first ones is stuff around like vaccines and that. That's probably like the biggest one that sticks out to me. Um just people sort of sharing stuff or coming out with things like it, it's a conspiracy or like they want to put microchips in us or they want to do this that and the other or people like um refusing to vaccinate their kids and like I work with young people quite a lot and I have an autoimmune condition so I was like I don't really want to have to think about like in the back of my head am I going to catch some like 19th century disease because someone hasn't vaccinated their kids um like is it going to be measles that's going to take me out or something silly like that um, I think that was the first point where I was like, yeah, this is kind of concerning. Would it have been the same for you, Molly, in terms of that experience of seeing kind of acquaintances and whatever, sharing like really mad stuff on social media and you just being like, what is this? Or was it something different for you? Well, I'd say it's probably quite similar to Scott. I think everyone growing up can remember somebody saying something to them like it's fact and they're like oh yeah I read it on the internet and you're like no this is absolutely madness what you're telling me this cannot possibly be true but also I was quite involved in the climate change movement that was happening last year when we could see people and there was quite a lot of disinformation and misinformation and lies being spread about that from actually very high figure people as well I think we can all think of someone who was saying that climate change isn't real and um, so it's things like that that really made me realize how important it is and how people can really be bended and shifted from just what one person can say and aside from this campaign, have you gotten much education on disinformation in school or anywhere else? <laughs> Molly, you're, you were in school like more recently than me, so do you want to take that one? Well, I think we can all say that there needs to be a few changes to the education here and the curriculum. It's quite old and outdated. And as we're moving forward to a lot more things being online and social media and everything, the, our curriculum isn't matching that. But I, has, um, I was in politics, it's a new subject, and we actually did cover disinformation and fake news and everything like that. But that was the first time I'd ever heard of anything like that. And we had to write essays on it. But apart from that subject, it's, you'd almost think it didn't exist. On that though, Scott, 
I know you're saying you're like out of school a bit longer. We're the same. Like it's a distant memory for me and it would have never come up beyond like uh, I did Leaving Cert History and or even I think they cover in Junior Cert History in terms of sources and whatever else. But that's about the extent of it. And obviously, as the two of you have already said, like with social media and like the level of information we're receiving now, it's a whole other ball game. But I was wondering, like, how do you think the curriculum should change when it comes to education? And then even further than that, I suppose, there's a generation beyond us that doesn't have the same, we'll say, literacy when it comes to social media, when it comes to media in general. Like, how do we help them, like our parents' generation, per se? Um, well, I think for, like, like our generation in terms of, um, like, well, what? could be made better about the curriculum. Like I think it does need to be updated. I think the problem with most curricula is they're generally about 10 years behind what is actually like taking place just between like textbooks and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean you couldn't maybe train teachers and how to have sit down and have a conversation with their students about like right this is this is how you like find information that's actually like reliable. This is how you can spot like unreliable sources and things like that. Because I think I don't think anyone goes out looking for disinformation or fake news. They kind of find something and it it makes sense to them on some level and that kind of leads them down a rabbit hole. Um I think we probably focus a bit more on critical thinking just in general in schools rather than forcing people to learn things off. They might be more comfortable actually working their way through something on their own rather than because generally they'll read something and be like oh like someone someone said this so it must be true it could never be like done with like bad intentions or done to misinform me um i think for like the older generations i think like especially in terms of science like the level of communication with the general public is not great and when it is done it generally only reaches sort of a, you're sort of preaching to the converted. I think there probably needs to be a, a concerted public a, a effort by the government to try and change that, like especially around vaccines and stuff like that, because I think we've all gotten, I'd seen it where like people are maybe our parents' age, like all love Facebook and Facebook was like the perfect place to go down a, a COVID conspiracy rabbit hole. And uh, like we're not reaching them people. So they don't know that, there's actual like, counter arguments out there, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah. We also those WhatsApps at the start of lockdown last year <laughs> where they're just like, oh, my sister's cousin said this, so it must be true. And I have it on good authority that we're all getting patrolled in the streets. Yeah, the only a- the only funny one of them was that one from the UK. Well, it was like a, a parody of those chats that goes around. Does anyone remember <laughs> yeah, that yeah, guy yeah. who made up about the fact that it was like, oh yeah, Boris Johnson's going to make an announcement tonight. Yeah, it was a TikTok. Boris Johnson's going to make this announcement tonight. Um, they're building a massive list Zania and um, in Wembley yeah. in Wembley and it was like it was the perfect encapsulation of like this is how we get to these points of just the most unfathomable information and we we're just like yeah he said it so there must be so many click of truth in insane insane um Molly can I ask why do you think there's a lack of trust when it comes to traditional news media in 2021 I think there's a lack of trust because we are always being fed so many different bits of information coming from so many different areas. Like in the past, you used to get your information from the newspaper or the radio, but now we can get it from 
the TV, from social media, from articles, from podcasts. So we're being hit by so many different bits of information. It's quite hard to know what you can trust and what you can't trust. And there's always going to be those people who are like, don't believe the government. It's a conspiracy. They run everything. Um, So I do think a lot of people do find that they can't trust the traditional forms because of that. Well, I do think it's there's there's no one clear place where you know you're always going to find the the true truest form of information. But I guess that's kind of part of life because there's always going to be somebody's opinion behind something. So you just kind of have to make sure you educate yourself in the best manner and just believe what you want to believe, but try not to be blinded by somebody's opinion too much. Absolutely. What would your take on it be on it, Scott? Um. I think, yeah, definitely what Molly said, like the fact that there's like, especially I suppose in the last 10 years for 15 years, like there's been a whole ecosystem that's just sprung up online of like people with their own blogs or their own versions of like what news is. Um, I think part of the problem is that like after like um, like the recession and stuff like that, um, like people obviously suffered a lot, but there was never like, I guess in media and stuff like that, um, how would I put it? There was never really a, sometimes it feels like the media has moved on and other people are still like suffering or like even with the housing crisis and stuff like that, like people want the, a simple solution. And if it feels like the media maybe aren't focusing on that, but I also think like in the last 10 years or so, like we've all seen like newspapers are basically like struggling to keep themselves afloat. So like clickbaits become more and more of it. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today or like sensationalizing things so it doesn't feel sometimes like the media is actually in it to like inform people they're in it to sort of keep themselves afloat or to sort of drum up interest like some of the news stories are reading you're like like this isn't a news story like this is just it's a rumor that's been dressed up as a as an article and it, like it'll be in a broadsheet on a sunday and then people look at that and go like I, i'm struggling to pay my rent or i'm trying to get by and it's really difficult and I guess they sort of see that like there's a divergence in like what the media is focused on and what they're trying to get by like on a daily basis and that kind of leads them to go like well these people don't care about me so like why should they care about what they say um that's kind of I think one of the big problems in Ireland especially and what like the you- Irish times like putting in like to see their property ad for it was like a house in Rathfarnham or whatever for a young professional and eight or nine hundred thousand euros and you're like yeah that's 
that's that's uh, that's aimed at a, spe- a, spe- specific, uh, a specific class of people, and a lot of people are going to look at that and go like, like you just haven't got a clue. Yeah, that yeah, did God, come that out really like that would hurt, and that would hurt anyone as someone who is hoping to buy very soon and is a young professional. This ain't it, chief. You know, like that. It was yeah. just. There's that sort of, there's that loss of legitimacy. People kind of look at it and go like, like our grandparents and our parents would picked up the paper, read it and gone like, oh, this, this has to be true because it's in the paper. Whereas nowadays I think people are a bit more suspicious um, of what the intentions might be when someone writes an article. Which is good. I think it's, it's good that we're at a place now. And again, it's not for everyone. And I think this is why this campaign is happening. There is um there is a want or you're seeing people interrogate stuff more, like yourself and Molly. But I suppose it's just kind of getting that out to people that they need to interrogate these kind of things more and not just take stuff at face value. Yeah, definitely. Like the, that was when I when I meant like critical thinking and stuff like that. Like read it and go, okay, like I'm not just gonna take whatever this journalist said at base value let's consider all the possibilities here but that doesn't mean you then jump straight into um, I don't trust the media so therefore everything in this article is a lie or mm. made up um, like there isn't sort of a, a baseline level of just fact anymore which I think is kind of a problem um, Molly how did you learn to tell the difference between what's fake and what's real online and do you find yourself like having to sit down with your parents or like older members of your family and be like showing them how how to do it yeah well I guess you're always kind of learning on something like this and the people who are spreading the information are almost getting better at it as well at hiding it and making it seem more realistic but I guess like an important part of it is to think for yourself is to not just absorb someone else's opinion that you read have your own opinion and go oh that's an interesting point and see how that impacts what you think but yeah I definitely would agree with what you said about having to talk to family members especially during COVID there's been um some interesting vaccine conversations um yeah and I'm just like what you're saying is not true <laughs> uh try reading more um uh, a more trusted source rather than this clickbaity uh, website that just wants you to to click in and just give them all their your uh, attention. You know, the minute you see forwarded many times <laughs> on a WhatsApp message, that's when you know Pandora's box is about to be opened and you are going to have to sit down and have a chat about something. Thank God my mom usually it is just memes, but even at that I'm like, <laughs> come on now, Calista. Um, Scott, how do you think news media can ensure that their stories reach young people? Because obviously, like we've talked on previous episodes about, like with TikTok especially, and now again, slightly more frivolous topics, but we'll see even rumors about like celebrity relationships and stuff and mad stuff. It seems with the way the algorithm works with TikTok now and everything and I don't know the way people view it. People take it very seriously and people take it as gospel. Like someone will upload a video being like, X person is with X person or they're getting divorced or I was an assistant to X person and they were a terrible person. And people are just like, yes, absolutely. This is fact. Like how do we, uh, what's the word? Like intervene or like 
get in between that journey to stop it happening and getting to those people who are probably most likely to be influenced to believe it? Um, I suppose if, if we're just talking about like traditional like media organizations sort of getting in between them, um, I think they do kind of have to go to the platforms where people are because like, like I had an Irish Times subscription when I was in college, but I think I was like a, a rarity amongst most of my friends in terms of that because there's like I do want to get an idea about what's going on but there would be a, yeah I'd agree there's a lot of people like Twitter threads and Instagram and TikTok are where they kind of get a lot of their knowledge about everything and you can kind of make the argument like especially with TikTok like it's only what 30 seconds to a minute like what you're supposed to do there but like I follow a couple of like US reporters or people from the states like uh, science communicators and like they've been able to do like amazing things through the medium of like act like I think one guy who was a reporter for like a big news organization in the US where he will do like his own TikToks about all these stories and talk about like his experiences of actually being on the ground at like some like major news events and it's kind of harder to I suppose argue with him that like he's making it all up when he's like like here like in the background here's the video of me at like the Capitol Hill riots or here's me at the riots over the summer um like I think you kind of have to be proactive with a lot of it I feel like the media tends to be like reactive with it like they kind of they like to report on what's going on on these apps and go look at what these young people are doing but there's never really an attempt to like actually reach out to them um which I think is probably a bit of the clickbait as well like they kind of like to turn around to like our parents generation and go look at what your silly kids are doing on TikTok um they're just dancing and doing other stupid stuff instead of like whatever else they're meant to be doing um I think like, yeah, like going onto those apps, I think would definitely probably benefit a lot of them because even then you'd, you'd have people being like, okay, I've seen sort of this stuff and it'll push people towards the websites or um, towards the apps for the papers and stuff like that. Yeah. With that algorithm as well, like I saw a video of a woman, I, I think it was TikTok where like one like Trump conspiracy TikTok came up and she was like, wow, that's so interesting and believed it straight away. And then because she interacted with that, her whole timeline obviously filled with those kind of videos and that led her down a deeper rabbit hole. And she didn't even realize she was like only like uh, engaging in like fake news and complete disinformation. Mm. And, and then she saw the light one day when everyone was like, everything you're reading is fake. And she was like, what? There was an interview on her somewhere recently. Yeah, well, I think there's definitely, there's a lot to be said for like regulation of the industry as well. Like I remember reading something about like in the early like 2010s, like when everything was still on Facebook, like um, all like news organizations put massive money into like their Facebook presence and like videos and stuff like that but like cut back on reporters and then it turned out that Facebook was lying about the stats for the views on the videos so all these organizations had spent like massive money on like videographers and video production for videos that weren't getting anywhere near the reach and it like hollowed out the actual like news part of a newspaper which is kind of the the most important part yeah it's the same with um with YouTube as well similar enough to what you said Bree. there's been people who've done like not studies, but like their own kind of experiments to kind of test the algorithm and about how long or like the degrees of separation from like watching a certain video, like how long it would take you to get to kind of far right conspiracy, like really mad fake news videos. And it's it's in like I think we underestimate how powerful these algorithms are in terms of and like as you said there, Scott, like there's kind of very little 
responsibility being taken by them. We'll get into it, but I think there's a... Um, it's more a vanity thing for them. Like they'll, they're happy enough to add like, oh, this information, this post contains information about COVID. It might, it might be wrong. We don't know. You need to go verify that for yourself, which I think is a step, but I think it's a vanity effort more than anything else. I don't think it's really anything, um, anything meaningful or impactful. Um, to go on to the next thing, Molly, another area where we're experiencing disinformation and I think a group that are disproportionately affected by it are minority groups. I think we've seen that from what went on in the summer of 2020 with the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and disinformation and hate speech in particular. I think they're both having really lasting impacts on minority groups. Like it's insane to me in researching for this to think that um, there was only a government committee set up in June um, to set about introducing introducing hate crime legislation, like June 2020. It just seems totally insane to me to even think about that. I mean, it's great that it's happening and hopefully it will make a difference, but I don't know, it just seems mad to me. Like, what kind of conversations are you having with your friends and your peers about um, like this particular like subsection of people who are very much suffering at the hands of dis- disinformation. I think it's easy to be like, oh yeah, it's gas. Like it's it's just like these viral WhatsApp videos that our mom sends. But like at the end of it, there are people that are being very, very affected in very serious ways. Yeah, I think you can say that nearly every minority group is affected by disinformation from somewhere in some way or another. Like you were talking about Black Lives Matter movement and in particular uh, George Nakencho, um, who was shot down by the guards um, after his tragic incident. Uh, there was quite a lot of false rumours spread online and it became an opportunity for racists and the far right to kind of sow division within the community and spread hate. And I was um, just looking it up. I just typed in George Nakencho fake news a few days ago and the amount of articles where it was saying that the guards uh, like came out and said that, no, these are fake. Uh, what's being said is not true. And uh, you just really have to uh, feel for the family because what they've, they've already gone through a terrible ordeal. And then on top of this, they're seeing, they're just going online and all they're seeing is all this fake stuff about their friend or their family member. But this incident isn't alone uh, throughout watching the Black Lives Matter movement globally, but specifically in Ireland. While we're seeing this really positive call for justice and peace, there's always this undercurrent of hate and racism that's also pushed through disinformation. But it's not just um, the Black Lives Matter movement. We also see it with the traveling community. And I think everyone can say that they've probably heard some piece of disinformation disinformation about the traveling community which contributes to prejudice and bias and stereotypes and it's something that members have said they're constantly battling with and like I know myself like I've heard throwaway comments about travelers which I just couldn't imagine how hurtful that would be if you're constantly getting this wall of hate and prejudice Mm -hmm. um and it just it, it really does severely impact the way that we view these different like groups, even though we might not necessarily know them. Exactly. And I think it's so important to have that perspective because we are all like so limited in terms of our own worldviews. And I've been the exact same as you, Molly. Like I've had to have like really serious conversations with some of my closest group of friends because they might have had a bad experience with one person from the traveling community and it's just set up their 
mindset as to what the entire community is like and they've allowed those thoughts to kind of fester and become something that just simply isn't true and which has led them then I think to engage with media that is against them is false which is it's it's so tough and I think even if you consider the stories that came out around the around COVID-19 when the initial outbreak happened like that was absolutely there was fully an element of xenophobia there like amplifying the fear you know about the whole thing of like it coming from China and like again there was this whole kind of rhetoric against them it's it's so scary to see how quickly the flames of something like that can be stoked it's very very not good very very not good um Scott you mentioned your background in science Talk to me about some of the conspiracies around the the vaccines. Like it's, even if you were to kind of briefly go through Twitter, like I kind of forgot about this. This was like how far away in my <laughs> mind this was. But the whole thing of, the I don't, I don't even want to say it, but you know the whole thing of like people drinking cleaning agents and that'll be a cure and yeah, even Trump was about it. Like, I'm like, and you hear that and it's like, with the four of us are in this call now and we're like what the hell and Shane sorry Shane is here and Sabrina <laughs> um but like it's to to see a world leader parrot on like that on a stage and to know that he's so revered by such a large community how does that happen how does that happen Scott um uh, we could be here all day talking about how <laughs> Donald Trump um ended up becoming president and um <laughs> why people were using anti-malarial medication to, co- to deal with COVID. And an anti-malarial medication that's really dangerous either way. Like the, your, if your doctors are giving you whatever Donald Trump was telling you, like it's kind of, they've run out of every other option they could possibly do. <laughs> like, it's kind of like they're looking at it and going, it's, it's either this or, or nothing, buddy. So um, I don't know where people got the idea that somehow it would be a good idea to give it to someone with COVID. Um some of the really weird ones, like um, I did my final year research project on like re- on tech for um, 5G radio antenna and stuff like that. So like my family members are sending like just random stuff from WhatsApp that now like they didn't believe it, but like people like 5G gives you this, that and the other. This was kind of before, this would have been like January, March, maybe December of um, 2019 when all this stuff was coming out, but it was like, oh, it's going to cause this, that, or the other. Um, and like, what's it? It can make you sick or it can make a virus. And like, I remember having to explain to a bunch of people once, it's like, look, if we found a way of making living things out of radio waves, someone would have figured out a way to make lots and lots of money out of it and wouldn't be just letting it be exclusively the knowledge of cranks on the internet. Um, that's not how this tech works. Um they don't seem to appreciate that fact at all that like this would be like a quantum leap in technology, despite the fact that it's impossible. Um, some of the stuff with the COVID, um, like the vaccines and stuff like that, like it just seems to be a bit of derangement. Like they kind of want, um, they want to be able to take the good things from science and ignore the things that they don't like. It's like you want to be able to like um, tell us vaccines are made up and like we shouldn't take them, blah, 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 blah. But, Wi-Fi and microwaves and all the other medicines you take painkillers um, anti-inflammatories they're all good but vaccines somehow are like evil and insidious um, which is kind of disturbing because um, like I remember reading an article once about like polio outbreaks that happened in the states up until the 60s and like they just shut down all states in America for months 
if there was a polio outbreak and it was kind of odd to see like a lot of the stuff in the States now about like our freedom and stuff like that, but polio only affected kids. So people were terrified that their kid was going to end up like sick or dying. So it was a lot easier for them to justify in their own heads. Like we need to shut everything down. Whereas COVID is like, oh, it's just the sick and the elderly. It, they're not me. So um, I don't have to worry about that. But I think a lot of it comes down to just basic scientific illiteracy, especially in Ireland. Like the fact that you can, in theory, stop studying science after about 14 and never do it again. And then suddenly you're an Instagram epidemiologist. Um <laughs> One of my me, mates like... text me. One of my mates rang me once and like he's fairly blunt. He was like, We're getting scientific advice from lads who couldn't pass junior search science. Like I, I don't yeah. take any of this on board. Um but at the same time, like there's people who went to college with me sharing stuff on social media. And you're like, how did you get a degree from our college with a degree in science? And you're like giving out about masks and stuff like that. Um but I think you kind of get down with everyone. Like you get doctors yeah. that are cranks. Like I've seen in the news, there's a doctor who's refusing to give people the COVID vaccine, but he'll um, write them prescriptions for the stuff Donald Trump wanted people to take, uh, the anti-malarial, can't remember what it's called now, hydro something. Um, so like, yeah, you do get cranks and you do get, um, just because someone has the word doctor in front of their name does not mean they know everything, uh, especially like not just medical doctors but you get like people like like me physicists who like oh yeah i know this 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 and this are engineers for some reason it always sends the engineers love to like love their graphs and love to be able to like oh no it's 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 this 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 and this and you're like you know nothing about public health or about how viruses work um i think it's a really irish thing when there's like someone with a title to just assume that they know what they're talking about whether they're a professional or a barrister or a doctor or a scientist which isn't always a good thing mm. that was me I didn't do science after the age of 14 but I uh, I'm on this podcast now trying to make things better <laughs> but uh, what <laughs> what do you do for people like me who are like pretty much like illiterate with the basic scientific terms like how do you address like or how do you think we can fix that and like yeah, I don't or know. Or can we? Do you, can like, we fix it? Yeah. When it comes to that scientific literacy, like, is it just like I remember? Is it a case of shut up and like listen to the experts? Is like it as I'm, simple as that? I'm pretty sure when we did our COVID episode, which we should have never done, but we had our <laughs> friend who's a doctor on, uh, Doctor Ash, and I literally asked her if it's a virus, will antibacterial hand sanitizer work? Because I was like, our viruses and bacteria, like bacterial things, like not totally different. Like I had no idea. And it was a stupid question, but like, how do yeah, how do you fix it? Um, <laughs> I think it, it does need to be like a, a effort on the part of the government. Um, like there should have been ads on TV shows out since about March, like educating people. Um, like you can find historical examples before we had TV, when we like had radio, like different countries, like when there was issues like TB or God knows what else, like outbreaks of that where they'd have like, massive public information campaigns about how to stop the spread of it and like how to do the basics to protect yourself and we didn't seem to do that here um i think the government were kind of a few steps behind like for this way within like two weeks of happening like i could have gone on instagram and found like just randomers who spend their time selling stuff on instagram telling me that like if i took vitamin c that i would be protected from the virus or that um if i did this that and the other i'd be fine um, like you see people coming out 
and they're like, oh, this paper says this, this, and this about lockdowns, for example. And then someone with an actual degree in the t- field has to come along and be like, it wasn't peer reviewed. Like, this is basically like anyone could have said this. Like, this hasn't been like uh, verified at all. Um, or people like picking certain parts of an article to suit what they wanted to say. And like, three lines down the paragraph, um, the article will say something they don't want to say and they'll ignore that. Um, but I think like, the government should have had people like, I don't know, Luke O'Neill or Sam McConkey, like people who are on the radio now trying to explain stuff to people or Tomas Ryan and been like, look, this is this is how it works. This is, here's diagrams, here's this, here's that. Because even like, we hear this phrase over and over again, like exponential growth. But I don't think anyone, I don't think everyone is 100% on board as to what that means. They just know it's been said a lot. And it's like, it just means that like it grows really quickly. But um, if you're trying to explain like virology to people who, like you said, breed, like haven't done science since they're 14, um, you kind of have to meet them where they are. Like there's no point in just you wheeling out your academic knowledge and being like blah, 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 blah on the radio and people understanding maybe half of it and you going off back to your office or your college and being like, I did a good job. And you're like, there's loads of people out there who don't listen to the radio or don't listen, don't watch the TV shows that are, or don't watch RTE. Like you need to try and reach them somehow. Yeah. There's definitely an element as well, though, of like you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So I think even if you were, even if we did have access to all these like immunologists and experts, if we could assign one to every single person, I think, which I mean, the dream. But I think, as you said, like everyone has these internal biases. And I think if you're anti-lockdown, like you're going to find research in inverted commas to try and back up that belief, no matter what. So I can imagine it's it's so difficult to get that message out like kind of broadly. And yeah, even I remember like Sam Conkey, I think, said like, I think back in October, we were headed for like 5,000 cases a day in Dublin. And people like said, oh, he's, he's scaremongering and he's doing this, he's doing it for attention. And you're like, like they just put the numbers into a graph and you just like, just draw a straight line following where the graph has been to see where it's going to go. Like anyone, like you could, if you took like, secondary school kids and showed them this like they'd understand like we started here we're going to be here in x amount of time like it's not like sam mcconkey woke up in the morning and was like i, I reckon we're going to have five thousand cases in a month um so that's another issue where it's like i think people don't understand the processes or the processes haven't been explained very well so they just sort of think that people are winging it and are like oh yeah we we think it'll be this but um or even like um, the problem where it's like you say we want to have lockdowns and then things get better. And then the people who are anti-lockdown go, look, it got better. Like, why did we need to have the lockdown? Like, is there, is there scaremongering or he's jumped the gun? And you're like, no, it would have been 10 times worse if we hadn't acted now. But that's not really a conversation people want to have too often. Molly, Scott had mentioned earlier about the riots at the Capitol on January 6th, the insurrection. Did you did you watch that live and had you kind of followed, had you been following the election and kind of the aftermath of it and that kind of journey to Trump basically claiming voter fraud to this like abhorrent attack on the Capitol? Yeah, well, I was I was following it following it to an extent, but I do think the American political system can be a bit mind blowing at times, and it's also very long. So I was following it, but then on the day of the Capitol 
riots I remember I was just doing something and my mum was like oh come in come in watch the telly and I was like what and I came in I was like oh I thought she was watching a film and then I was like goodness me this is this is the news there are Mm. people trying to to get into the capital and uh, I genuinely I find it really terrifying and uh, I couldn't imagine what it must have been like for the people who were inside especially those who may have been women or of minority groups because of the the type of characters who were going in. Um, and I just, I, I actually still thinking about it, it's one of the most mind-blowing scenes I've ever seen that the president incited these people to come in and try and break up democracy. Yeah, to be honest, I was kind of the same as you in that, like I, I was following it, but like, and I say this from an absolute place of privilege, like I was kind of a bit lethargic with the whole cycle as well, <coughs> obviously wanted... I would, did not want Trump to win and um, was hopeful that he wouldn't. Thankfully, he didn't. Um, and then kind of, I just kind of zoned out personally. I was like, right, okay, whatever, Joe won, that's fine. And then to to research what happened, because I was the same as you, like uh, my friend texted me and was like, you turn on CNN right now, like something desperate is happening in America. And I saw it and I was like, God, th- like this is insane. But in researching for this, like to see the lead up to it, like, I didn't realize how much he was actually, he'd actually vocalized Trump. I mean, how much he'd actually vocalized being like to them, oh, you need to go to the Capitol and like tell them, like tell them that you're unhappy. Um, like, it was something like he'd, for weeks before, and he'd urged them to go to Washington and um, to stop the certification of the election results. Obviously, loads of rallies planned. And then the morning arrived, and um, he was due to speak near the White House, and he, his followers obviously went and assembled near the Capitol. Um, including like the Proud Boys, which are a far right group. Um, and then like he's 15 minutes into his speech and he's like, you have to show strength. And if you're someone who follows someone like that with like absolution, you're going to take that as being like, oh, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna take what you said and like take that to mean, well, I really need to show them peace of my mind and I'm going to storm this building and make them hear what I have to say because clearly something has gone desperately wrong and I've been wronged and president former president Trump has been wronged it was just and like even like Scott I don't know if you've been following any of the stuff with like QAnon and just it's uh, really it, it's it's a, it's a wild journey it's it's it words kind of fail to describe the level of insanity at times um the main leader guy, from what I can gather, but they seem to have a couple of different like main spokesmen. But isn't one of them like he he owns a pillow company in the states or something like that? Like it's just yeah. insane. Um, yeah, it's kind of a like there's a long history. You can probably argue since like the 1990s, America's kind of been trending towards something like this. Um, they've always kind of had, especially the cults and stuff like that. But I don't think we've ever seen it go this kind of mainstream or have people who like had like high up positions in the US government, like Michael Flynn, who was like Donald Trump's national security advisor. It's like a big QAnon head now, but then like even have Congress men and women who are like fully on board with the whole theory of like, yes, they're like this secret cabal is running the country and there's just a whole lot of random stuff. I feel like it started off as a joke and just because of the way the internet is now and like sites like, uh, 4chan 8chan and all that like once it gets into them like it just spreads like wildfire but also i suppose there's been enough crazy stuff happened in the us in the last 20 years that 
people kind of look at that and go, eh, well, if we compare reality to to this, they don't seem that far apart at times, depending on which part of the state you're living in. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people seem to get involved in it. Like I've seen like testimonies from families. There's like people have had like basically their lives fall apart for whatever reason, like especially after 2008 and just go deep down the rabbit hole, like you said, of YouTube and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And just like some people like cut themselves off completely from their families and like go in with two feet on this uh, conspiracy theory and like it kind of destroys their lives. And then I suppose just to finish, like on that, guys, I'd love to hear from both of you. How do we, How is there any way that we can stop this like growing prevalence of conspiracy theories in the mainstream society? Like, how do we do it? I put the question to you, Molly and Scott. Molly, do you want to go first? Well, gosh, very difficult question there. I don't think very there's difficult any, question. So, any proper answer. Yeah. But I guess it's about the individual and you're taking your own individual social responsibility and going, is what I'm going to spread, is what I'm going to say, is what I'm going to make up, is it going to harm someone? Because at the end of the day, we don't get to choose the life that we're born into. We only get to make the best out of what we have. And if what you're saying or doing is stopping somebody from, from like achieving their goals or getting out of a bad situation or something like that, you are a bad person yourself. And a lot of conspiracy theories and disinformation and fake news and everything really do contribute to that. So I think it is on the individual and just kind of copping on and going, you know what, I, I don't need to spread that. I don't need to say that it's not going to help anyone but myself. Um, I suppose come on from what Molly said. I think there does need to be like an effort from like leaders in government and stuff like that, or just like in society in general. I think like a lot of the conspiracy theories, like even the ones you see now, like the people who are outside the four courts of the GPO, like we all can kind of recognise that yeah, that this is mad and like they're just talking nonsense. But like it didn't come out of nowhere. I think a lot of that stuff ends up being like the sort of the, the symptoms of other stuff that's gone wrong in society. And if you don't deal with them, like if we got rid of all the people who believed in conspiracy theories in Ireland, like other people would just take their place within a few years. Like they'd find something else to believe. Like they, they believe, I don't know, like uh, Mary, Mary Lou MacDonald is the head of the Illuminati. If there's ever a Sinn Féin government or something like that, like they'll find something else. Um, if you're not, actually willing to address the issues that are leading to it and actually like acknowledge like yeah these people believe this thing but that doesn't mean that we believe that it's correct like we can acknowledge something exists without like um like you can empathize without sympathizing with them like you can understand why they feel the way they feel but that doesn't mean you go oh like it's it's a valid way to feel or that it's justified to have like like money said those sort of opinions around say travelers are ethnic minorities like you can go okay they believe these things but there has to be a solution here like just um building a fence around them and pretending they don't exist uh is probably only going to make the situation worse because it's like you're you're just locking them in a sealed container and like well, eventually it's, it's going to have to come out and it might be worse it's like when you have a mess and you just sort of kick under your bed and you're like i'll make it i'll come back to it later and you never come back to it until it's like even worse than it was before um I think that's kind of how you need to tackle these sort of things. It's it's they're they didn't come from nowhere and they're not going to disappear on their own. Like there has to be a, a concerted effort 
in society and I think like you've seen that multiple times throughout history like cults and like people who had just really like abhorrent opinions didn't just disappear like you had to counter them in various different ways and like it's not going to be different for us this time around so yeah like I do think that there needs to be sort of a, a baseline level of like fact and reality we can all live with but like um, freedom of expression and stuff like that like is important like just because someone says something you don't agree with doesn't mean that it's inherently bad or abhorrent um, you know just even if we look at in Ireland like there'll be people who'll be supporters of a certain political party and they'll consider anyone who says anything against that to be bad and like that's not really healthy for a society to just automatically tear people because of what they say as being bad or sort of unworthy. So I think like ex- freedom of expression is definitely, the, we can't get rid of that. Like it is important for a whole variety of reasons. Um, a lot of the stuff we've talked about with Article 19 has been around like the establishment of a social media council. So I suppose it's sort of a governing body for social media um, in Ireland, which I think would make sense because if you look at it at the moment, like. A lot of people, like we've discussed today, are, are vulnerable to misinformation through that medium, especially. And like, it's not going to get better on its own. Like, there has to be some sort of effort by us as a society to come in and be like, look, like, there needs to be rules here. Like, it can't be the wild west. It can't be uh, just anarchy in terms of information. Like, we have to kind of, for everyone's benefit, be able to establish some truth and some fact, and like have a grasp on reality that we can all agree on. Couldn't have said it better myself. And obviously, like, even us as podcasters, we benefit so much from having free speech and being able to express silly opinions on musicals and bands and everything else. But it <laughs> extends to so much more than that. So this yeah. is so important. And as Breed said already, I think this is going to be so good for young and old people alike. Um, so Scott Byrne, Molly Gordon-Bowles, uh, campaign ambassadors for Hashtag Keep It Real. Thank you so much for joining us today on Bandwagons. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great. Scott Byrne and Molly Gordon Bowles there joined us for that. Uh, two of the hashtag Keep It Real campaign ambassadors. Scott mentioned there about the Irish Social Media Council, just so for anyone who is looking for more information on that, basically Article 19 is advocating for the establishment of an Irish Social Media Council. Um, This self-regulatory mechanism, inspired by the experience of press councils, would provide an open, transparent and accountable forum to address content moderation issues, such as disinformation on social media platforms. Um, This initiative in Ireland is the first of its kind run by Article 19. Um, Very exciting. If you're looking for more information on that or anything else about the campaign, you can find out more on article19.org forward slash campaigns forward slash keep it real. And of course, you can join the conversation on social media at hashtag keep it real. Um, this has been an eye-opening episode and it was really good, scary and challenging as well to look back at examples. Like we could be here all day talking about stuff with Trump. There could be a full episode on Trump in itself. Yeah. Um, where like it's, there's so many other examples, but I think this is a really good, maybe starting off point, maybe if you're having discussions with family members who are maybe conflating the issues of, uh, you know, having free speech and saying whatever they want, well, but they, maybe they don't realize that what they're doing is harmful and what they're talking about is does not uh, equate as free speech. This could be a good uh, 
starting off point, if you need to have that conversation with someone in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, an acquaintance, or perhaps maybe you just want to educate yourself. Maybe you want to bring yourself up to speed with how these companies are doing it and why it's important to understand that, yes, freedom of expression is so important. It allows for podcasts like this. It allows for us to do what we want to do. But fundamentally, we all have a responsibility, not just uh, media organizations, not just podcasters, not just Fanul and Breed. We all have a responsibility to um, do something about this and uh, to ensure that we are not contributing to the spread of disinformation. Couldn't have said it better myself, Fanula. Mini bandwagons, Breed? Um, absolutely. I actually... Because we might have noticed we are recording this a little bit in advance. So um, there might be something a bit more topical when it comes to mini bandwagons. But I'm going to kick off and I know we recommend them every single week. But Reply All did an episode recently on QAnon and uh, one man who's like single-handedly taking down like um, those kind of people who are spreading a kind of hate speech about like a certain conspiracy. And it's an episode called Country of Liars, I think. Um which it's just, I found it really interesting. So if you want more information on that kind of stuff, um, go and give that a listen. I am um, probably a decent episode. Can I, can I, did you see PJs after getting in a bit of trouble? About yeah. Test Kitchen? Yeah. I saw a meme about it. I didn't see why. I was like, this is hardly about Reply All. But yeah. PJ's not even involved in it. It's true. I, there is a, I know, but there was like a, I think he's still a producer on it or whatever. Is he not? He's involved. He's just not hosting, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, There was yeah. basically, there was stuff came out apparently that he was like, um, th- they were trying to unionize and like the, like black indigenous people of color that work in Gimlet were trying to come to him with his, exper- his experiences because obviously he's like one of the head honchos being one of yeah. the like, all people. And he's probably one of the best known like Gimlet people. Yeah. And um. Uh, apparently he stood in the way and like wasn't really sympathetic to any of their experiences and didn't really Oh care. shit, I would and, not um, have seen that coming from him. He's a real like... Yeah, it's, it's, it's really disappointing. Um, yeah. I think he, he stepped aside from Reply All. I don't know if that's temporarily um, Truthy. I you think, have ruined my day with this, but I'm glad sorry. I know. <laughs> um, truthy, I think, didn't say... Now, again, these are allegations, but I'm inclined to believe them. Um, apparently, Truthy said some not great things as well about her colleagues and I think she's come out and replied about it um or she's come out and apologized about it and PG obviously apologized but oh my god disappointing because the whole argument was that like this uh, podcast series was about like this fundamentally really toxic really uh, like right inherently racist workplace that was the test kitchen and then people from Gimlet came in and was like are these the right people to be heading up this series anyway I'm oh, really wow. sorry if I ruined anyone's day but I'm sure that's still a good episode and I would <sighs> be inclined to listen to it anyway but Bear that in mind. Just bear that in mind. Yeah, I'm going to have to go and do a bit more reading up on that now. Um, I'm just looking at uh, what's up and coming on Netflix now. Um, Us, a very good scary movie. It's up oh, on I've my... I've never seen it. I went on a date to the cinema to see it. Um, right. Oh my God, it's playing. Um, Don't play it, Breed. No, too scary. It's up very high on my list, of, on my scary movie scoreboard. So I would recommend giving that a watch. Where can you find you the like scary movie scoreboard out. breed? It's on Patreon. Absolutely. And I haven't really watched any scary more. movies, so it is pretty much up to date. Um, but yeah, if you like to get out, you will very much enjoy this. It's very creepy. Um and I don't have a third one. Do you have one? <laughs> Do you have anything to add, Vanilla? Do I have anything to add? What do you, what do you read? Add? 
any books? And Laura Damara has just announced she's bringing yes. out another book. Yes, and this is very exciting I, for anyone looking to um, do up their gaff. Um, it's decor. Let me get the full name. Decor galore, and it's available for pre-order. Pre-orders are so important for books. Um, but it's out on uh, in October twenty twenty one. It's published by uh, Penguin. Um, if you know Laura and if you read Gaff Goddess, this is going to be yeah extremely good. Gaff Goddess was all about like doing maintenance around your house and kind of empowering yourself as 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 whoever because I feel like a lot of that so yeah it's not even to do with being a gal or whatever yeah it's not to do with being a gal that's that's to do a disservice but I suppose a lot of that information is like on the subject of gatekeeping it's kept away from us because it's considered something that we wouldn't be good at or we wouldn't be interested in um, and she's empowered so have you seen me build a flat pack yeah she's empowered so many people across her socials and with her book so this is obviously just going to be about like adding that if you it's so hard to describe Laura DeVar unless you follow her but She's an icon. Exactly. She is an icon. She is She's an icon. She is a legend and she will continue to be the moment. Um, <laughs> it's all about um, just adding that certain genocide quad to your home. And I cannot wait. It's going to be one of those ones that you absolutely need to have like at hand at all times, I would imagine. Similar yeah. to Gaff Goddess. So I can't wait for that. And I also got, up Cork. I got Gaff Goddess for Christmas and it, I have it beside my bed and like I just pick it up and I'll read a chapter on like unclogging drains and I'll just be like, now I know and then put it back. So I'm uh, excited for this one. Oh, it's going to be so good. So, so good. That's all for Bandwagons this week. Yes. Uh, big thanks again to Article 19 um, for sponsoring this episode and working with us on this Um and appreciate you all for listening. And if you've learned something, please let us know and please join in the conversation on social media. Hashtag keep it real. And um, we'll have all the relevant links to find out more about the campaign um, in the show notes and on social. So keep an eye out for that. Um, follow us on Spotify if you don't already. That's where you're updated on new episodes every week. Leave us a review on Apple, only if it's nice. We are Bandwagon's podcast across all social media. A big thank you to Collaborative Studios for producing this episode. Um, we are on Patreon, as Greed mentioned, and we have tickets on sale for our show. I won't flog that like a dead horse, but they're there. You know we're there. You know at this point. Um, I'm Fanula. I'm Breed. And we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>